If you enjoy the LA Intergroup's Virtual Speakers Bureau podcasts, consider joining over 500 OA members for our annual OA birthday party, which will be held January 17th through 19th in Los Angeles at the LAX Four Points Hotel. There's free transportation from the airport, so ditch the cold weather and join us for a wonderful weekend of OA recovery. Visit oabirthday.com for more information. Okay, now is the time for me to qualify, and so again, my name is Carl, I'm a compulsive overeater, uh, don't need these, and uh, for people who like numbers, I've been in program for almost 25 years, and this past uh, December, at the beginning of this month rather, I celebrated 22 years of continuous abstinence one day at a time, and, and I say one day at a time because that's all it is for me. I wake up every morning and I know that I have the ability to go out with any meal at any snack at any juncture in any moment and I need to make sure that I don't do that and the way I do that I will get to in a minute. Just a little bit about who I am. Uh, I came in um, not kicking and scratching the way a lot of people did. Uh, I've always fought my, my weight. I've always been the heavy fat kid. Um, I've been gay all my life and I'm turning 65 so think about it 60 years ago on the playground being a sissy boy was not fun being fat was not fun I was picked on I was uh, bothered I was ignored I have no friends from that period of my life and uh, that's just the way it is and I've learned to accept this is who I am this is what I had to go I had to go through those things to get to where I am today and I'm grateful for where I am today because of, of who I am today. So um, I have an older brother who's homophobic. I have a younger sister who's lesbian. And I probably had, at different times in my life, I've had a better relationship with one than with the other. We never three seem to get together on the same plane at the same time. Can't get it, don't know why. But there are times I'm really close with one, times I'm really close with the other, and the same thing with them. So that's our family dynamic. Um, I had very loving parents who did the best they could with what they had, and um, I cannot blame my compulsive overeating on anything other than I'm a compulsive overeater. Is it in my genes? I don't know. Did my parents do it? I don't know. Is it because my brother, my sister, my dad, 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 I don't know, and you know what? Today I don't care. I don't need to know why. Because if I spend all my time looking at why, I'm going to keep repeating those behaviors. I'd like to accept them and keep them. That's there. Stays there. I'm here. I'm over here. But that's, that's there. I acknowledge them. I remember them. There are times, I mean, I was driving here this morning and a thought came up about my childhood and I, can, and I don't have to eat over it. It was not a pleasant one. And I said, you know what? Okay. It happened. Move on. Get over it. And I do. So um, I tried a few diets. Um, I never did the things that a lot of people have done. Uh, exercise was always a dirty word to me. Uh, you know, growing up in the area that I grew up in and not being athletic and not being the best kid in the class, I was never chosen for teams, so I never got good at them. You know, the only way you get good at something is if you keep doing it and you get to practice it. Well, having not been good enough to get on any team anytime, I never got to practice, I never got to be better, and I never got to be good. And my family was not exactly the athletic time, the athletic type. Uh, our family dynamic was such that my mother brought up the children and my father brought home the money. Period. My father had very few interactions with the children, even though two of us were boys. 
and he would have liked us to be athletic and one thing or another, and he would sit and watch TV and read the paper and listen to the radio and not interact with us. That was our family dynamic. Um, so I went all through junior high school and high school. Again, didn't have friends, didn't get along with people. I was never given the tools. I never got the tools how to be a social human being. Never dated. I didn't date until I got to college. And by then, everybody has their pattern and their lines and, and how to do it. And, and if someone does this, you do that. And the, and the ziggy and the didn't was wasted on me. Didn't get it. Did a little bit of it in college. And then um, when I got out of college, it finally started dawning on me uh, that maybe I was different. And other than just my weight. And that was when my homosexuality came out. And that's, I did not come out of the closet until I was 26 years old which in my era is not considered a late bloomer. Today is considered a late bloomer. But I, I want to put things in context. Uh, I came out when I was 26. Um, God, that was 40 years ago. <laughs> that number seems big. It seems like yesterday, but the number 40 years ago seems big. Okay. So once that happened, a whole new world opened up to me. And... Um, the more I got to be more self-aware, because I was in therapy, um, and I became self-aware, I found out that many years later that what I am is I'm a compulsive overeater, but I'm, I, am, I am also a compulsive fill-in-the-blank. I've done it with food, sex, internet surfing, house cleaning, uh, spending, alcohol, never did drugs, uh, because I thought I wouldn't be in control, because I am a controlaholic. I like to be in control. With all those other things, I could stay in control. And, and you say with the alcohol, you don't be in control. I was very fortunate that when I was drinking, which I don't do anymore, but when I was drinking, my taste buds would turn off when I'd had too much. I lived in New York, and um, where I lived and where I partied were very close to each other, so there was always separate money in my back pocket that didn't go to the bartender, that went to the taxi for the ride home. And, but my taste buds would just turn off. I could be in the middle of a drink, getting really high, and I'm feeling great, and this is great, and I'm like, ugh, and nobody did anything to it. So, to me, I've learned since, that was my higher power taking care of me. And as I look back over my life, I've always had a higher power watching out for me, taking care of me, guiding my steps. Some of the steps I question, I don't quite agree with some of them and the way they've gone, but you know what? That's what got me to where I am today. And what I'm doing today will get me to where I am tomorrow and the day after and the day after. And so I just keep building on it. So, um, oh, and I, I was also a workaholic. And that was a big one for me. I thought if I only worked 80 hours, I was not working hard enough. And I thought um, I need to work harder. I was only paid for 40, by the way. I was, I was, I've always been salaried, never hourly. And uh, I just didn't think I, I, was, I was working enough hours. So, um, since being in program, what I found out is I was doing all these things that you'd like me. I was desperate to be loved. I was desperate to be liked. I was desperate to be a part of. I was desperate to be with the in crowd. And I never was. And um, as you can hear, my voice it still hurts. Because you always want to be where, you know, they say the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Well, man, I was standing in, in, in brush. I was standing in dried out brush, and I wanted the green pasture over there. 
and I did anything. So I thought if I drank more, you know, I could be the life of the party. If I worked harder, people would like me and respect me. If I, whatever, whatever I did, I was doing so that I could be liked and be loved and be part of. And guess what? It didn't work. People liked me because they, they liked what I was doing. They didn't like me. And I started learning what the difference was. There was me, and there was my, then there was my actions. So they loved the actions. They just didn't like me. I was listening to an interview uh, of a very popular show a couple of years ago, and they all said uh, there was this one character that everybody loved. And they said, yeah, we loved the character. He was the actor. You know, once they got off, once they got off set, he was a pain in the butt. But, on, on, but then again, on camera, someone else was writing his lines for him. Who he was was not who they liked. And so I always thought that I just kept doing more and better and harder and stronger. I'd be like, well, didn't work. I was very fortunate that um, the person who brought me into program was a very good friend of mine. And she has uh, unfortunately since passed away. But I saw her lose 150 pounds in this program. And we used to be binge buddies. We used to eat together. We used to love to eat. I mean, I'd go to her house, and for the two of us, the table would be filled. And I said, who else is coming to dinner? She said, just us. And we'd polish it off. And, and today I can say that's okay, because that's who we were at that time. And then, then she found program, and she got into program, and she lost 150 pounds. Well, she had 150 to lose. I didn't, even when I came in, I didn't have 150 to lose. But she had 150 losing, she lost it. And you know what? I was not impressed. Then my friend was taken away. The person that she was wasn't there anymore. I, you know, get out of my face. I don't want to hear about it. And she never proselytized. She never once said you should or maybe you should. She was just a true beacon of this program. She led by example. And, but we still remain friends because we still have many things in common. And, uh, then one day I noticed, besides the weight being gone, the nastiness was gone. The sharp edge was gone. The tackiness was gone. She was a much nicer loving person, and I said, I want that. Only took me a year to get into, into the rooms after, after that realization. I'm a slow learner. And, and it took me a while, but it took me a year. And... I guess I really wanted it because as I look back now, the first meeting I went to at the time, uh, she was living in Hawaii. She worked for the military. She was uh, stationed in an Air Force base there. And I said, you know, I was over there visiting. I said, you know, I was thinking maybe we should go to a meeting. So I went to a meeting. I went to a meeting on a military base. If you've never been to a meeting on a military base, which today I don't think you can get on the military base, but in those days we could. Very different. Um, very different. My experience was, as I look back now, I must have wanted this really bad because I kept coming back. <laughs> because it, it is very... Well, the, the main thing that reminded me is... Um, the thing that really threw me is that people were going up to getting their form signed by the secretary. And I couldn't imagine what that was. The military is very strict about weight. And, and judges in, here on the mainland will have an alcoholic go to AA meetings in the military, they can make you lose the weight. And so that was a whole dynamic, and that still didn't scare me off. But I came back to the mainland, and it still took me a while to get to my first meeting. 
I walked into my first meeting scary out of my gourd. Didn't know, didn't, even though I'd already been to one, but my first meeting here in town. And I was afraid and I didn't know and I was scared. And I walked into the old gay and lesbian community service center on Highland. And as you walk in through the parking lot, there's a bathroom. There was a bathroom right there and then the reception desk. And as I walked in, a friend of mine from the gay synagogue walked out and she said, Carl, how are you? Fine, how are you? She said, are you here for the OA meeting? Was it written on my forehead? Come on, how? And I said, yeah, just come with me. She was a fellow, and she walked with me into my first meeting. It was a big help, because I walked in knowing somebody. I am, for those of you who know me may not believe it, I'm a shy person. I don't do well in strange situations. If I don't know people, if I don't know where I'm going, I just assume not go. If you invite me to a party and you're the only one I know there and it's your party, I probably won't go because to this day I'm shy. I'm getting over it. If you give me enough notice, I'll work on it. I'll call my sponsor. I'll talk about it. But my natural instinct is, is to back away from that. So I walked in and that was almost 26 years ago and I haven't left. Except for one time. Dad died uh, 22 and a half years ago. And I was fresh, I was fairly new into program. I had a year of abstinence. I was working the program. I was Mr. Hitch looking cool. And I went to um, Florida where my parents lived. And I was sequestered with my family as we do in our faith. And at that point, my brother uh, was acting like dad died. So now I'm the head of the family. My sister and I, who weren't speaking and had not been speaking at that point for six years, um, like, we felt like saying who died and left you boss, but we knew who died, but he wasn't left boss, and that's what we thought, but he thought otherwise. So it was, a, it was an ugly dynamic. But I was there, but I was Mr. Hitch looking cool, and I abstained. I was great. That was in August. And then I came back here, and all of a sudden, in August, that was in, I'm sorry, he died in June, I came back in August, damn it, broke my abstinence. I worked in an office that, in order to get to the candy machine, I had to go past someone's office who was in my division who I worked with who I was close with who I could have gone and closed the door and said I feel like eating the candy bar can I talk to you and said no I went right past her office and went to the candy machine and she never saw me because I made sure she did, I did it when she wasn't watching because I was afraid because she was in progress that she might tell somebody that was in August make a very long story short I went back to visit my mother for what would have been her wedding anniversary and I didn't want her to be alone on her, what would have been her wedding anniversary without my dad. They had been together for 50 years. They'd only been married for 47 but they'd been together for 50. So I went back and she went to sleep on December 4th which was her wedding anniversary. Everything was fine and I went back into the den and this is not the house I grew up in. They had retired to Florida. I was born and raised in New York City. They... Um, I went back into that. I went back into the den, and before I knew it, I was at the old cookie jar, and I went through a package of cookies. And I woke up the next morning. I said, "What the hell is going on?" And I realized what had happened is that when I was there in June, and I was Mr. Hips looking cool, I was working my physical program. I wasn't working my spiritual program. I abstained, and that's fine for what it is, but that's one part of my program. My program truly is threefold. If I do not work the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual, I might as well just be out there eating. 
Because if I don't work, especially my spiritual program, I will eat. And today, it's not an option. Today, I get up, the first thing I do is I go to my chair in, in my living room, and right next to that chair are four daily meditation books, three of which are program approved. And as I said before, I was a slow learner. I read each page twice. Because when I read it the first time, somehow, between the first time and the second time, they change the words. I don't know how they do that so quickly. And again, I don't care how they do it so quickly, but it gets done. But I read each page twice. I read the four today. I read the on reflection. I read the one day at a time uh, from AA. And I read each page twice. And then because I know that I, personally, I, Carl, needs a spiritual connection, I will sit there and I have a kitchen timer. It's set for ten minutes. I spend ten minutes in prayer and I talk to God. I thank my God, my higher power, for life. That I'm awake. That I was able to walk from the bedroom to the chair. And for all the blessings in my life. And I pray for those people in my life that are ill or sick. And then when that timer goes off, I set it for another ten minutes. And I give God a chance to talk to me. And I'll just sit there. And I listen to my breathing. And I just be calm. And the reason for the kitchen timer is twofold. One, I really think I would get so comfortable I wouldn't get up. Because it's, it's a good space. It's a good way to start the day. And the other reason is, I do it at four o'clock in the morning. And sometimes you just want to sleep. So the timer will, 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 will get me going and, and keep me on track. And that's the way I start my day. I talk to my higher power. Because if I don't do that, if I don't connect with God, if I don't connect, I, my day is not the same. It's not bad. Nothing terrible is going to happen. The lightning is not going to strike me. At least it hasn't yet. And, you know, there are times I get to sleep at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, and, you know, 4 o'clock ain't going to happen. So I set it for 5, and I don't get a chance to read those pages. So I get in the car, and I have about a 40-minute drive from my house to my job. I just shut the radio. Just shut the radio. I don't care what's going on in the world. I'll talk to God and I'll pray out loud because I need to hear myself say these things. Now, I do not suggest meditation while you're driving. Usually not a good idea unless there's someone else in the car. Preferably someone else doing the driving. Uh, but I will, when I get to my office, sit in the car for five minutes and give my, give my higher power, give my God a chance to catch up to me. Because I get the feeling I'm, I'm running too fast. You know, uh, I once saw a great greeting card that said, thank you, that, that said, never drive faster than your, higher, than your God can fly. Because I don't know about you, but get me on a road, get me on a freeway. I'm doing 95, 100. I was up to 115 in my car one time. Because it'll do it. I didn't even feel it. And all of a sudden I looked down, whoa, can't be doing that. Because I don't believe my higher power is going to protect me from going that fast so after I do that and I get that done I make sure that because that also sets me up for the phone calls that I'm now going to be receiving from my sponsees which I get in the morning and then I have to call my sponsor and I make sure that before I call my sponsor that I get my writing done because I write every day and again I had a wake up call this past November uh, people I work with told me guess what you're not as nice as you think you are. I'm not. And I could listen. 
and I heard what they said. And they were right. I had not been nice. Stuff had been going on in my life and I was bringing it into the office. And that wasn't good. And my first response was, shut up Carl and listen. And I listened. And then, at the end of it, I thanked them. And she said, you're welcome. Because guess what? Thank you is the appropriate response. And I said, well, listen, listen, listen. No. Thank you. And then I went and looked at what my part is. And what can I do to fix it? And so I'm fixing it. And one day at a time, I try to be better than I was yesterday. And I touch base with those people like, how's it going? You know, are we okay? Is it getting better? I don't... I. I I can't do 180. I'm not, I'm not one of those people that can go from horrible to wonderful. Eventually, maybe, I'd like to think I can. But it's going to be gradual. And so I, I just keep touching base to make sure that I'm doing what I can. And I do my footwork, and I write about it, and I call people. But I make sure that every day, every day, I'm in touch with my higher power. I'm in touch with my program. Because I know, left to my own design, I would just assume that, you know, I'm done. I cannot tell you the number of times I get the disease of I don't want to. I don't want to write. I don't want to read. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. And you know what? That's nice. There's a medication for that disease. It's called program. And so I just keep doing it. I don't know about you, but I have voices in my head that love to talk to me. They love to tell me what to do. They love to, to guide me in what they think is the right way. And you know, I, I kept looking for the off switch, and I did it with work and food and, and all those things that we've tried. And I finally found out there is no off switch. But I have found a dimmer switch that can tone it down. It's the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's the meetings. It's all of you guys. Because I carry you with me wherever I go. When people are talking to me in my left ear, you guys are in my right ear. And I'm grateful for it because I have a way of doing things that I never would have thought I would ever know how to do. I've learned how to be a better person here. I'm very grateful that before, even my father, before he died, I got to be a better son. For my mother's last 20 years of her life, I was in program and I truly got to be a better son. I've been a better brother. I've been a better employee. I've been a better friend. Am I the best I can be? I don't know. This is who I am today. I hope tomorrow will be better than today, and I hope today will be better than what yesterday was. And I just do it one day at a time. And I am excited about the prospect of it being better tomorrow, because I thought yesterday was pretty damn good. And so if today's even better than yesterday, woohoo! I'll take it. And I'll just keep growing from it. And the gratitude I have for all of you being here, and for my being willing to come and to be the meeting, no matter what. You know, certain things are not negotiable in my life. Brushing my teeth in the morning is not negotiable. Getting to two meetings a week is not a negotiable. Minimum two meetings a week is not a negotiable. It's the way I work my program. And I've seen my life on both sides. I remember my relapse. I remember before program. And I've seen what it's like today. I like today. I like today more than those other days. And so I'm going to keep taking them. And I'm going to keep coming back one day at a time. And I hope all of you do too because... The first word of the first step is we. I can't do it with me. I need a we. And the only way I get a we is if there's at least one other person in this room. So, uh, with that, I'd like to say that I really hope that everyone has a wonderful and abstinent rest of 2013. 
starting for 2014. Um, alcohol called New Year's Eve Amateurs Night. We had ours on Thanksgiving. You know, everyone that over ate. But, but again, we are compulsive. We're compulsive fill in the blank. And I, I really wish for everyone a very healthy and happy and safe new year. Thanks for letting me share. Okay, there is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of a leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember that if you, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. So, who has a question? Please. Thanks. Um, you said that you felt like you always had a higher power with you. How do you reconcile that? Um, the question was that I said that I always felt I had a higher power. How do I reconcile that with a painful childhood? I reconcile with the fact that um, when the student is ready, the teacher shows up. I wasn't ready to get the message. So I think I was being protected as, best, as much as I was letting God in. I think my higher power was always there. I just think that I, as I do with so many people and things, put up the barriers. So it was me, not God. What step was the most difficult for me and why? All of them. <laughs> because I, I really didn't want to admit that I was powerless over anything because I was Mr. Hips looking cool when I came in and, and I thought that I would, you know, that, that I could do everything. Um, and it's been a while since I went through them the first time, so I can't remember which was the hardest. I just recently finished going through them again. And uh, the seventh step, you know, coming face-to-face with my character defects and looking at them and writing about them and admitting them and talking to my sponsor about them. But, you know, if I don't let out my deepest, darkest secrets, they're just going to keep eating away at me. And then I'll keep eating over them. So uh, I would say the seventh was the hardest, and, um, and I keep remembering. So when stuff comes up, as when these people started talking to me, what character did you say? You know, I want them to jump in. I want them to fix it. I want them to do. I did. I did. <laughs> Remember program. How do I take care of myself? Oh. So, that character defect got turned, turned down that day. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Carl. Can you talk a little bit about the physical part of the physical part of my was, um, when I first came in, um, Everyone was talking about three meals a day, no white flour, no white sugar. And I said, I can do that. That's not a problem for me because uh, I had done some reading before I came into program about a medical condition that I may or may not have, but I thought I had. And it said to avoid certain foods and white sugar and white flour were part of them. So that was easy for me. So again, I thought I missed the hips looking cool and I had that part taken care of. What I didn't realize is that it's not only the specific foods, but it's the attitude and the actions around the foods. For instance, um, the, the, one of the main ones for me is peanut butter. I love peanut butter. Love peanut butter. And I won't say I'm addicted to it, but I, but I do enjoy eating it. And there have been times in my head that I've not been able to have it in my house. There have been times in my house that there, there was a jar and on the top it said no spoons allowed. Because I was just digging with a spoon and eat it. And today, through 
the program. I can have peanut butter in my house, and as long as I eat it appropriately, I've conquered that one for today. But, and it's a big but, should I see myself sticking the spoon in there again, the peanut butter goes in the garbage and goes back on the, on the list of not being able to eat. So to, to me, it's not only been the foods, but it's been the actions. I used to think a meal is a meal. No, a meal is a plate. See, because to me, a meal is a meal means it's a buffet. I get to go back many times. No, a meal is a plate. So that's, that's how that's evolved over the years, is that I've learned that not only the food and the food, the specific food, but it's the action around the food. Thanks for asking. Please. Thank you. The service I've done and how it's helped my program. It's interesting because uh, I was just thinking on the way here that the birthday party is coming up. And I was very honored to have been the chair of that event a number of years ago. And that really brought up a lot of character defects. And everyone who's nodding is either on the committee or has served on a committee. So watch people's heads nodding. Um, and what they did is it taught me what I was good at and what I wasn't good at. It also showed me that I could trust other people because that was a big one for me. I couldn't trust people. So I'd give people tasks. And in the past, I'd give you a task. And then if you didn't do it the way I wanted it, I'd grab it back and I'd do it. And then I'd get mad that I didn't have enough time to do everything. But with something like the birthday party, I turned it over and I just let it go. And miraculous things happened. Beyond my wildest comprehension, things happened. Um, at the time, it was one of the highest income, the highest attended, and all I did was let it go. I just showed up. So, um, I've done that service. I've been secretary of meetings. I've been treasurer of meetings. Uh, I, by being on the birthday party, I served on the board. And I learned what I was good at and what I wasn't good at. And so now I get to pick and choose the things. You know, I keep finding out what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And what I'm not good at, I say thank you for asking and no, I won't do it. And that takes a lot of courage because I was a people pleaser. I always like to say, I say yes to anything and then I jump in and, and I do it, I may do it great, but I'd be mad at myself. Well, one of the things I've learned here is I have to love myself first. And once I love myself, my program gets even stronger. Thanks for asking. Please. How did you know when you were ready to sponsor? How did I know when I was ready to sponsor? I didn't know. Uh, someone, uh, when I was fresh in program, I don't think I've even been here a year yet, um, I'd become friends with someone at one of the meetings. and uh, But friends, not program friends, friends. We were friends outside. We would go to dinner and we'd go to movies together and stuff. And he didn't have a sponsor. And he'd been around longer than I had and he asked me to be a sponsor. And so I said, what do I know? So I called my then sponsor and I asked him, what's the question? So I asked him to be a service. Do it to the best of your ability on that on that on any given day, but just remember, you're his sponsor. You're there to talk about food and food problems and, and the program, not about life, you know, unless it involves. So he said, you're not a therapist, you're his sponsor. And so I had to learn boundaries and I had to learn guidelines. And uh, to me, it was, it was great because then I could identify myself as sponsor and I got others. Um, for those of you that don't have a sponsor. Uh, just a little bit about sponsorship. I've been blessed, truly blessed, to have been with the same sponsor for 23, almost 23 years. Now, the advantage of that is I can't get away with anything because he calls me on my ship. The disadvantage of that is that I can't get away with anything because he calls me on my ship. So, it's one of the most 
cherished relationships I have in the world because I know that I can go to him with anything and everything, say what I need to say, and I've also learned it's best for me, who I am, and who I am with him, is to follow directions. I've often said that if he told me to stand out in the middle of Wilshire Boulevard, stark naked, I would do it. And I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast because they don't tell me to do it. Because I don't believe he put me in harm's way. See, that's what I learned. If, if certain people ask you to do things, they're just asking for their own advantage. But I've learned that my sponsor and certain people in these programs who I've got who have learned to love and respect are not going to put me on harm's way. So if they ask me to do something, shut up, Carl, and do it. And that's that about sponsorship. Please. I talk about writing. Oh, can I talk? As long as I have to write about writing, I'll be fine. I can talk about it. Yes. I don't like writing. Okay? Uh, it's not a tool that I like. Uh, I have handwriting that um, is illegible on a good day, and I don't have a lot of good days when it comes to handwriting. I don't like holding the pen. I don't like writing. Um, but I found it to be one of the most the problem for me, and as much as I love to talk, I love the tool of writing, almost more than the phone, mainly because it, it gives me a chance to slow down. When I first started working with my sponsor, he gave me a writing assignment, and somehow I mentioned something about the computer, and no, 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 no. He says, you handwrite. I said, no, I'll just throw on He said, no, handwrite. And I said, well, okay, why? And it's very true. When you're handwriting, you're slower. And by slowing down, for me, I get to think, I get to feel, I get to really take it in. And so to me, writing has been almost a blessing because I really get to think and feel all the things that I'm writing about. I've written on the steps in the OA and the AA 12 and 12. I'm now working on the big book, writing about a paragraph at a time just what I think and feel and, what, and how that paragraph is affecting me at that moment. And let me tell you something. I've read some of the pages I've been writing on in the big book. I've read them. I, mean, I go to a big book study. And we go through the whole big book and then we go through it again and again and again. I've read these pages a million times and I've never gotten it like I'm getting it now. So the writing, to me, has been like, whoa, I love it. And, and uh, I just think any writing that you do and especially handwriting. It's going to slow you down. It's going to get you to think. It's going to get you to feel. And I can't praise it enough. Thanks for asking. Please. Thank you. Thanks so much for your Yes. <laughs> Can I speak about craving and craving absent behaviors or behaviors that I no longer... Craving is craving is I have cravings probably all the time. Yeah, seriously. Um, I can almost tell you I can almost tell you without looking at the clock that it's ten thirty in the morning when I'm at work. My stomach is telling me it's lunchtime. At that point lunchtime is four hours away. And that's my normal lunch. So what I've learned is that when I'm having a craving, when I feel like doing something other than what I should be doing, the first thing I do is say, Okay, what's going on? You know, if I'm at my desk, I kind of push back an inch or two. Wherever I am, I just try to change the physical location, even if it's just by an inch. Say, okay, what's going on? 
what is it really? Do I really want to eat, or am I just feeling lonely, tired, upset? I'm having the feeling that I'm interpreting as a craving. You know? Oh well, I have nothing better to do, so I'll go surf on the you know surf on the net. Why? Why are you going to surf on the net instead of washing your dishes? Why are you going to surf on the net instead of preparing lunch for tomorrow? Why? What's going on? And so I you know I take a step or two away. Just so I can change the physical. Uh, to me, I have to think that the bathroom should be one of our tools. I use it constantly. Because when things are going crazy, I'll be right back. I'm going to the bathroom. And, you know, by, by changing the physical location, that kind of helps me look at it a different way. And a different thing. So when I get those feelings, when I get those cravings, when I get that, <coughs> that you know, something is not right, I kind of just walk away and start thinking and, and again also the, the process of walking two steps away it makes me think oh well if I'm in a different spot I should be thinking differently you know now I have to think about I, I can't, don't have to focus on that I can focus on where I am now and I've been told my time's up so thank you for letting me share